Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. All right, brand new day, brand new sports speed on 960 AM WSBT on this Tuesday, October the 18th of 2022. It is eight minutes after five o'clock. My name's Darren Pritchett, broadcasting from our studios in downtown South Bend, Indiana, just a couple of miles away from Notre Dame Stadium, where on Saturday we've got a 2.30 kickoff as the Fighting Irish will take on the running Rebels of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Irish favored by... Little over three touchdowns against a Rebel team that's having one of their best years in a few seasons, although the status of their quarterback is up in the air at this time. Doug Brumfield, a really good-looking sophomore quarterback. He's 6'6". He is a run-pass threat. Did not play in Saturday's UNLV home game against Air Force due to a concussion. He is still listed as day-to-day by UNLV. And by the way, without Brumfield, UNLV got thumped pretty good by the United States Air Force Academy, 42-7. to In fact, they have gotten hammered in each of their last two games the week before. It was San Jose State piling it on against UNLV. This is the Peacock game, just to remind you. Notre Dame football will not be on regular TV this week. You will have to get that subscription to Peacock if you want to watch this particular contest. You get the monthly subscription. You can cancel it right away, of course, if you're not interested in keeping Peacock. 
If you have no interest in watching this football game, but you want to, of course, follow the progress of the Fighting Irish, hey, we're still free right here. Check us out, 960 AM WSBT. We will have all the play-by-play here on WSBT Radio. Paul Burmeister and Ryan Harris will have the call starting at 2.30 on Saturday. Tyler Horka and I will have game day sports speed powered by Michelob Ultra from 11 until 1.30. I have a feeling we're not going to talk a whole lot about the matchup. It's going to be about the state of Notre Dame football with a first-year head coach and a 3-3 and record, which includes losses to Marshall and Stanford. And those two teams have one win against FBS teams this year, and both have come at the expense of Marcus Freeman's Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. So a lot to discuss over the next few days as we try to figure out what is the next step for this Notre Dame football team. Was Saturday just simply them hiccuping, hitting a speed bump? I mean, you can argue the game was sitting there for them, and they only have themselves to blame. Audric Estime's fumble in the fourth quarter, massive play in the game. You had two wide-open receivers for touchdowns. Braden Lindsey and the first pass attempt to Tobias Merriweather should be absolute gimme touchdowns. They were missed badly by the quarterback. That's just three examples right there, and I'm sure we could spend a little more time picking out plays, but for me, those three plays stand out, and all of a sudden, instead of losing, for those of you that wager on the contest, we might be talking about the Irish covering this football game. More importantly, Notre Dame winning easily against Stanford. But you know what? We can't get into the if, ands, and buts. You are who you are, and this is a 3-3 three and three football team that has not played well at home so far this year. They scrambled to beat California, a team that just lost to the worst FBS team in the country on Saturday, Colorado. You lost to Marshall who has now lost to Bowling Green, Troy, and Louisiana since beating the Fighting Irish. They have not beaten an FBS team since beating Notre Dame. That's awfully frustrating. And then, of course, what we saw against Stanford, a team that had not beaten an FBS team in 378 days. That's the home schedule, and that's the way they have played in those ballgames. Strange. They have played better teams away from the stadium and they have played better football. Try to figure that one out. All right, so here's what we've got coming up on the program today. We actually had three Twitter questions of the day. We started it Sunday afternoon, and it carried over into this afternoon. So we have results on three Notre Dame football-related questions just to kind of get where you are as a fan right now on this Notre Dame football team, what the biggest issue with the team is. Was the cupboard empty for Marcus Freeman? And for those of you that really are frustrated with offensive coordinator Tommy Reese, what is it about him that frustrates you? So the results to those three questions are coming up here in just a little bit. We're going to talk more about the Irish offense later on this hour. Marcus Freeman on the offensive goals. Are they too reliant on Michael Mayer? And Stanford did their best to take away Michael Mayer. What are the defenses then vulnerable to when you put so much focus on Mayer? 
Marcus Freeman has an answer to that question coming up here in just a little bit. Also on the program this evening, the My Five is five things to know about Saturday's opponent, UNLV, in the 6 o'clock hour. We'll talk all things Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated's recruiting insider, Mike Singer. We'll talk about Cam Williams making a big jump in the on-three rankings. Mike also spent some time checking out Bredell Richardson in person, a wide receiver last weekend. Ohio State has offered Notre Dame safety commit a Don Schuler, And also Mike talks about just some of the storylines to come out of the recruiting weekend centered around that Notre Dame loss to Stanford 16-14 to on Saturday. So all of those topics and more coming up with Mike next hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And after a cold start to our sports wagering segment in October, at one point, I was 7-20. and 20. Well, I'm now 23-26 and 26 after a 4-0 night last night. So, 4-0 tonight. We're over 500 in miraculous fashion. We'll see if we can get it done. That's what we've got coming up, plus our sports beat, first pitch of the day. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Of- Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. All right, let's go. First pitch today. I just want to play for you what I would call some interesting comments by Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman dating back to his press conference after the loss to Stanford on Saturday. And also his meeting with the media on Monday. I think it just brings up some interesting talking points about this Fighting Irish football team and where this first-year head coach is right now as he tries to get this team through a rough first half of the season, a team that probably should be 5-1, and one, but again, they are who they are. They're a 3-3 three and three football team with a couple of teams in the top 15 ahead on their schedule. And if they beat all of the unranked teams left on their schedule, they'll be bowl eligible. That's kind of where we are at this particular time. I saw what was the athletic today had the Irish in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. You know, just to prepare, I actually bought that brand for the first time over the weekend. It's actually really, really good. I'm not sure I'd want it dumped on my head, which is tradition in that bowl game now for the winning coach of that bowl game. So... Who knows, maybe Marcus Freeman will get introduced to Duke's Mayo if they play in that game and get some mayonnaise dumped on them. I don't know about you, but they've got a matchup with Iowa in that game. Well, I think it would be fair to say a lot of people will be placing the under total points in that game if it's Notre Dame versus Iowa. Long way to go, but that's who the Athletic is projecting at this particular time. So Coach Freeman right now trying to work his team through this 3-3 start to the season and trying to get them locked in 
to take on UNLV on Saturday. He talked on Monday about learning as a coach. And as the season progresses, growing the program and basically restarting the foundation of the program. He took over a program that Brian Kelly left him that just missed out on the college football playoffs last year in the Fiesta Bowl. And now a few months later, they've gone from being an almost playoff team to a 3-3 and football team. And Coach Freeman discussed with the media on Monday how it's almost like he's starting over with this program. Give a listen. Something the right way, you know, and, and I can't build on what's been done in the past. All right, it, this what, what Coach Kelly did here was tremendous, right? And what the wins and the success he had here. But I can't come in here and say, okay, I have to be Brian Kelly. I got to be Marcus Freeman, and it's different. It's different. So I got to build this thing um, with the current players that we have, right? The great players that we've recruited in the past, but you're still building your foundation from the ground up. And you have to go through some of these growing pains, man. And, and you know, it's just a part of, of, of being, it's something new. And we have to make it ours. We got to make it mine. And, and um, anything worthwhile, I, I believe in my life's going to take, it's going to take some, some growing pains to get it to where you want it. It was interesting to hear Marcus say he can't build on what was done in the past. And it can't be Brian Kelly. I hope we get some more detailed information on that because that general statement can provide us some thoughts that might be out of context. So I think we have to be careful in how we handle this particular comment, but I thought it was really worth playing. You can't build on what was done in the past. The foundation of the program he was given made the playoffs twice in the last five years and then the near miss last year. So to hear a first-time head coach say that he can't build on the foundation built by Brian Kelly, I found very intriguing. And that's why I'm really curious to find out what was so bad about the foundation that Brian built after the 4-8 season that was not sustainable or to his liking. Now, he says he can't be Brian Kelly, and nobody wants Marcus Freeman to be Brian Kelly. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. I don't care if we're talking about Bear Bryant or we're talking about Nick Saban. Whoever we're talking about, whoever he is replacing, you have to be yourself. So I don't think anyone is asking Marcus Freeman to be Brian Kelly. But I think one thing you can learn from Brian Kelly, and Brian has spent a lot of time in this game, growing into the moment he became the Notre Dame football coach. We all know about his success at Grand Valley State. Central Michigan, Cincinnati before coming to Notre Dame. Whether you like Brian or not, he was a well-rounded football coach and he was a true CEO of this Notre Dame football program. He oversaw everything. He relinquished 
his play calling duties so he could be the overseer of this football program. He could walk over to the offensive line group. He could go to where the secondary is working. And so once you got into a game situation with Brian's experience, he was able to be a coach that had the ability to help fix things during the game. Now, there is no question his specialty was on the offensive side of the football. And there were times I think he was able to help the Irish get out of some tough spots. He spent time around the defense so he could dabble in that as well. And I think that's where one area I do want Marcus Freeman to become Brian Kelly. I want him to become the CEO of this football program, but I do think it is more difficult in your first season as head coach, in particular your first season ever as a head football coach at any level. He had a lot of things to handle. And I think he allowed Tommy Reese a lot of flexibility with the offensive side of the football. As I said yesterday, I'd really like to know the conversations between the two when Marcus got the job about do we need a grad transfer quarterback. I know Marcus has said they talked about it. They didn't think they needed one. I'd like to really have the away from the microphone reason for that particular decision, but we're never going to get that. So I think there are good things about being a Brian Kelly type coach and that CEO mentality, I think, is extremely important to acquire as time goes on. And Marcus was asked about in-game adjustments, how he's progressing in that particular area, obviously on the defensive side of the football. He can help in spots. Offensively, I think it is still a work in progress. And Marcus was asked about in-game adjustments and how he's involved in those. It's, you know, my role as a head coach is, is to give my opinion, right? And, and, and there's times I might say, hey, run the ball. Hey, run the ball. There's not many times I say stop running the ball and throw the ball, but there's times I say run the ball. We did. We tried to run the ball first half. We ran the ball pretty effectively the second half. You know, we're running the ball that second last series and we fumble. So it isn't like I need to speak up and tell you, Coach Reese, you're not doing a good job, do you? No, he's doing an excellent job, you know. And my job is to, to look and say, OK, Monday through Friday, what aren't we doing? Or what are we wasting our time on doing that isn't giving us a better chance to execute on Saturday? And, and again, I'm... Same thing without going on defense. I'm there to, every once in a while, give my opinion, but I have the utmost confidence in our coordinators. They spend enormous amounts of time game planning and studying, and they, they do a good job. We have to go back and look and say, what aren't we doing? And what don't we Because it's not, it's, guys, it's not a, it's not a call. He should have called this. No, it's not. It, they have a call sheet, and they call the, the, the plays or the defensive calls on there. We have to look and say, okay, what are we executing? What aren't we executing? You know, and that's to me the challenge is that my challenge is to make sure that we're calling the things that we're executing. And if we're calling things we're not executing, we got to look and figure out why. Let me play the first part of that comment one more time for you. It's, you know, 
My role as a head coach is, is to give my opinion. That I found extremely intriguing. And I think that shows us Marcus is heavily relying on his offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, and his defensive, defensive coordinator, Al Golden, to be heavily involved in everything on their sides of the football. You heard him say, my job as a head coach is to give my opinion. This leads me back into what I was just talking about with Coach Kelly. He was the CEO. CEOs don't give opinions. They make decisions. They make alterations. They tweak things. When they make a suggestion, to me, that's saying this needs to be done. So I think the building of a CEO, once again, for this Notre Dame football program will continue to grow as Marcus Freeman gets a better understanding on the offensive side of the football. And it's also going to grow as he grows into a coach that says, no, we need to do this and not just give an opinion. Look at the Alabama-Texas A&M game two weeks ago in Tuscaloosa. And actually it was against Arkansas. Let me take that back. It was Alabama-Arkansas three weeks ago. Their backup quarterback, Milrow, goes 74 yards inside the five-yard line. The next play, offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien, the former Houston Texans head coach, calls a pass play that was almost intercepted. Of course, you cut to Nick Saban, who is screaming into the headset, and I'll clean it up, run the ball. Run the ball. That was not an opinion. That was, you better run the football. Not please, run the darn ball. And that, to me is the sign of a football coach that knows what is best for his football team, and he is the letter of the law. There's no jury. There's a judge who makes the decision. So I hope that's something that we can grow into here. Hearing the head coach say, I give my opinion. No, you are in charge. What you say goes. And that's where I hope the growth continues at the Goop as we move forward with this football team. And also as this team, as Marcus told us, you know, he said a lot in the postgame Saturday, 27 times he talked about execution. Now the key is if execution is a problem, how is it communicated back to the players on getting through to them to help them execute better in games? Um, it takes – you know, I, I would say my feelings Saturday night in my office watching the game after, um, you know, being here in the stadium were a little bit different than Sunday when you, you meet with the defensive staff and watch the game, you meet with the offensive staff and watch the game, and then you watch it again a couple of times in your office. Um, you know, you're always – it's easy to put the blame on a certain group, a certain person, a certain coach, um, but there there's areas for everybody to improve. And – I felt a lot better Sunday after watching the game with the defensive staff and the offensive staff than I did Saturday night or in the Sunday morning when I was evaluating right after the game. And so um, how do you, you get that message and those lessons to your players? You're honest. And it's the same message I have after a win is that we have to seek this feedback. We have to want to know how to improve. 
Don't tell us where, coach, you did a good job here. What do I have to do to get better? It's a lot easier to do that, okay, maybe when you're down because nobody wants to, to lose. And when you're down, coach, we got to find a way to get this fixed. The challenge is when you're winning, do you have that same mindset of make me better, help me improve? And so um, these guys have to want to be coached. And our coaches have to coach them and make them better and coach every play and, and not look at the outcome of a play. And, uh, you know, our, our players were very receptive to it yesterday. Well, it is been something we've heard constantly for weeks, but obviously we have not seen the change consistently in the results on the field. Things were really good against Carolina. Things were pretty doggone good against BYU, but the Stanford game missed opportunities, not being able to make the simple play, hurt this football team. Again, very easily, they should have won this game by two touchdowns. But simple things eluded them, which I think is more frustrating than anything else. There is nothing worse than the other team not beating you, but you beat yourself. Am I being disrespectful to Stanford? I don't mean to be. But no one can sit here and say Stanford played a heck of a football game and they took this game from Notre Dame. That did not happen. We heard in the postgame Saturday, Stanford did nothing to surprise the coaching staff. They didn't come out with something that shocked them. Notre Dame beat themselves in this game, and that's what is extremely frustrating, especially when you consider the head coach has been stressing execution, execution for now weeks, and you don't see it consistently on Saturday. What changes that? How is it going to change? What's going to lead to the chain. That is how this football team gets back on track. And their CEO will oversee that and hopefully find that magic equation so there is better cohesion between the coaches and the players leading to the results they're looking for on Saturday. But you need a strong CEO in order to help you through these particular situations. 28 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. We threw out three Twitter questions of the day on Sunday. The voting wrapped up earlier today, and I'm intrigued by the answers. Can't wait to talk about them with you coming up next. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. 22 minutes in front of 6 o'clock on this Tuesday evening. Sports Beat continues. As we broadcast live on 960 AM WSBT, as you just heard, WSBTradio.com and our free WSBT radio app. Well, following the 16-14 loss by the Irish to Stanford on Saturday, as you could probably imagine as a member of the media, like so many others, 
who have websites or do television work, newspaper work, there were a lot of fan reaction. And because of the heavy load of reaction I got after the game, I decided to come up with several different Twitter questions of the day. Sunday afternoon, I let them run until Tuesday afternoon because I, I want to give Irish fans an opportunity to express themselves and also just offer some general thoughts on where their mind is right now with this Fighting Irish football team. So here are the three questions and the results from the last couple of days. We'll start with the first of three questions. How would you describe the cupboard that Brian Kelly left Marcus Freeman? I ask this question because there is a strong belief among people that tweet at me, use social media to contact me, that Marcus Freeman did not have much of a chance this year. Brian Kelly knew what he had on the roster, and that's why he left. So in regard to those responses, I wanted to open up to all Irish fans to get their opinion on this. So again, how would you describe the cupboard that Brian Kelly left Marcus Freeman? Your two choices, full, competitive roster that was ready to win or at the very least, be competitive. The second choice, empty, the roster needed work, which gave Freeman little chance. The results, 65.5% said the roster that Brian Kelly left, Marcus Freeman, was full. It is a competitive roster, and that this football team was ready to win, or at the very least, be competitive. 34.5% called the roster empty, giving Marcus Freeman little chance to have success. They lost Jack Cohn, a guy that half the fan base wanted to throw off the island after the first couple of games last year. Notre Dame stuck with him, made some changes to the offensive line, quickened the pace, and he helped them to almost a playoff berth and got to a New Year's Six Bowl game against Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl. There is a good amount of talent left from that football team. No one is sitting here saying that the quarterback and wide receiver positions are as good as last year. We cannot say that. But that does not mean the cupboard is empty. It is a cycle in college football. You lose players every year. That's why you recruit. That's why you develop players. So there is a limited drop-off at these positions every year. This isn't Alcorn State. This is Notre Dame. They've got a pretty good recruiting budget every year. One of the most historic programs in the world. So to have some empty parts of the program is extremely frustrating. There is absolutely no doubt about it. But this roster still has a ton of talent. It had four preseason All-Americans on it. And I think as other programs have shown, even if you don't have a difference-making quarterback, if other parts of your football team are talented and play at a high level, you can win a lot of football games. So I 
just, I'm sorry, for the 34.5% that voted and for the other people sitting here listening, I just don't see how you can call this an empty roster. The corners are back. No, you can't replace Kyle Hamilton. You get a preseason All-American and Jacobs to come in at safety. You got a great defensive line back led by Isaiah Foskey. The offensive line returns. I think you all like the stable of running backs you have. You got an All-American tight end. How can we call this empty? You know how many programs across the country in the Power Five would like to trade places with this roster? One for one. We'll trade your roster for our roster. I have a feeling Notre Dame would get a boatload of emails from head coaches across the country wanting to switch their rosters for this one. So I don't get the empty roster mentality. That was a popular conversation Saturday night, and I know people are frustrated after a game like that, and I respect everyone's opinions because when you give an opinion, I don't necessarily see it the same way. It makes me stop and think. I don't just discount it. I think about it, and many times you out there change my mind on things. But this one, I just I can't buy the 65.5% are right. This team had a good cupboard. It should be competitive, and no one is saying it should be a playoff team. I think there's a difference between saying the cupboard was full, competitive roster. We're not saying a playoff roster. That's a totally different conversation. I had them 9-3 and three at the start of the year, and after watching the talent play out over six games, they still should be a 9-3 and three football team. They should be 5-1 and one right now. And you know what? If they lost to Clemson and lost to USC and beat all the other teams that they should beat, where would they be right now? 9-3. and three. So I don't think we have misjudged the talent of this football team. They just have not played up to, I think it is fair to speak for them, their expectations and our expectations. So 65.5% felt like the roster was good enough to be competitive and ready to win this year. The second Twitter question of the day from the last couple of days, what is the biggest issue that Notre Dame football has right now? And I offered up Four options that seem to come up more than anything else. Here are the four choices. Number one, you've got a first-year head coach. Number two, offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. Number three, what Marcus Freeman has talked about a ton, player execution is not there. And choice number four, an inconsistent defense. So, after tabulating the voting over the last couple of days, I'm not surprised by the result based on what I get from fans on a pretty consistent basis and other media members get on a consistent basis. Coming in fourth place in the voting, not surprised because I'm not sure this is a great option. Inconsistent defense got 2% of the vote. The biggest issue for Notre Dame right now, third place in the voting, is having a first-year head coach in Marcus Freeman. That got 22.5% of the vote. Second place in the voting, what Coach Freeman has mentioned over and over, player execution. 
second in the voting at 28.4%. And with a pretty sizable lead, the biggest issue that Notre Dame has right now, according to you, the fans that voted on my Twitter account, at 960 Sportsbeat, it's offensive coordinator Tommy Reese at 47.1%, which led to a third question of the day. I knew Tommy was going to win that vote, so that's why I already had already put the third question out there before the results of that particular question was known. So here's the third question built off that question. So many Notre Dame fans point to offensive coordinator Tommy Reese as the team's biggest problem. For those of you that say that, what is the number one reason why you feel that way? And again, I took the common responses I get from fans and use those as answers to this question for people to vote on. So what is the number one reason why you feel like Tommy Reese is the biggest problem for Notre Dame football? The four choices. Number one, he handpicked Pine and Buckner as his quarterbacks of the future. Choice number two, his play calling within the game. Number three, in-game adjustments. And choice number four, personnel decisions. The votes were pretty spread out. And here were the results. The fourth place answer got 14.9% of the vote. And that was personnel decisions. Based on what I'm told by Irish fans and based on my assumptions, I'm betting the people that voted on personnel decisions are basing that on a couple of things. Number one, why is Tobias Merriweather not playing? We see him in flashes. He technically ran a couple of fantastic routes on Saturday, showed beautifully by the NBC crew. And it should have been two touchdown passes for Merriweather. One was overthrown. The other was right on the money for a touchdown. He put on a route running clinic on those two routes. So why can that not be something we see more of? I think that leads to part of the voting going to personnel decisions. I also think it has something to do with people wondering if the right quarterback decision was made at the start of the season. And another part of the personnel decision that could lead to people voting for this is so many times inside the five-yard line, the big, bruising, powerful running back, Audric Estime, is not in the game. Now, on the fourth down and two from the five on Saturday, two things happened that I liked that was an adjustment by Coach Reese. Number one, you put your quarterback under center. Number two, you had Estime in the backfield. Now, they ran a jet sweep to Jaden Thomas, and you look at the replay, it was like six defenders against four. He had no chance. So you got the quarterback under center. You got Estime on the field, but you ran an east-west play when – I guess they just don't have the confidence that offensive line in a short yardage situation can consistently get the job done. They do have their issues in short yardage situations. That is analytically shown, and just those of us watching the game, we see it. So I think Tommy felt like trying to get someone to the outside might be the answer, but that jet sweep, boy, Stanford was all over that. 
So again, the question, so many Notre Dame fans point to offensive coordinator Tommy Reese as the team's biggest problem. What is your number one reason why you feel that way? Personnel decisions, 14.9% was fourth. Third place in the voting at 15.6%, he handpicked Pine and Buckner. I can totally understand why those people voted that way. And to me, two of the four answers stood out as answers to why I would have my frustrations with the offensive coordinator. He honed in on Tyler Buckner. That was his guy. And we'll see in time if that was a great choice or a choice that didn't work out. We can't come to that conclusion yet. He's played not even two full games. The first game was an offensive game plan where Tyler did what he was supposed to do, and that's not a whole lot. Against Marshall, I didn't like the first half game plan. I think it put him in a tough spot. So I don't feel like we have even close to enough information to say whether Tyler Buckner was the right choice or not. The Drew Pine argument is right now a popular debate amongst Irish fans, even when he was playing well. The fact is you're at Notre Dame. The Irish are striving to be a national champion. And you hear it from Irish fans, why can they not get that difference-making five-star quarterback? You're getting four stars right there. C.J. Carr's a five-star coming in in 2024 who just plummeted in the on-three rankings. But I think that is debatable. Did the Irish get the right quarterbacks to take that next step of not being just a playoff team but a national championship team? We don't have the final answer yet. We probably will know by the end of next year. So 15.6% concerned about the handpicking of those two quarterbacks. Second in the voting, if there's a reason why you're not a fan of Tommy Reese, those people said in-game adjustments, 33.3%. I think pivoting is something that is a work in progress, and I can understand that. He's just a few years as a play caller. You're always learning the adjustments made by the opposition, can you counter it? I think some good adjustments were made in the second half against Stanford. Might have been slow in the first half. 33.3% picked that as their biggest issue. And winning this vote, so many Notre Dame fans point to offensive coordinator Tommy Reese as the team's biggest problem. Why do you feel that way? The number one response, 36.2% play calling. To be fair to Tommy, the first game of the year, we were told by head coach Marcus Freeman what the plan was. We're going to run the ball. We're going to keep the ball away from Ohio State's offense. That was what he was told to do. That was the orders from the head coach. Against Stanford, he dials up a perfect call, Braden Lindsey, over the top of the safety, gimme touchdown, good pocket. The throw was missed badly. Should have been a walk-in touchdown. Tobias Merriweather, blew by his defender. Should have been a gimme touchdown. Overthrown. You can find quality plays being called throughout games, but if the team can't execute them, Tommy can't throw them. That's part of the reason why we sit here and shake our head, this team should have won by two touchdowns on Saturday if simple plays would have been executed. 
Uh, you can point to fumbles, penalties on touchdowns. There's a lot of things. I'm not trying to just pin it down to a couple of things, but I think just those plays stand out more than anything else. And then I don't understand this, but if you go to my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat, there's a play that I retweeted from Tyler Horka where on the final drive of the ball game Saturday, Notre Dame has it first and 10 from their own 22. And we've all seen how the Irish look to the sideline to see if Notre Dame is going to change the play based on the defensive alignment. You see everybody look over to the sideline. On this last opportunity to win the game, all you need is a field goal. On this first and 10 play from the 22, on the near side left, the closest to the Notre Dame sideline, you've got two receivers out there. And it's Logan Diggs and it is Braden Lindsey. And on the play, you see those two at the same exact time look to the sideline. Somebody must have said something because they both looked over. As they look to the sideline, the ball is snapped. Seconds go by before Diggs or Lindsey move. Diggs finally moves, and about a second later, Lindsey moves. By the time they start, Pine is already running to his right outside of the pocket. That's hard to comprehend how this can happen. Was the ball snapped before it should have been? Should the quarterback have been looking at the sideline? Why did those two individuals look at the sideline? Somebody must have hollered something. That's just part of the discombobulation that kind of drives you nuts as a fan. Those are things that just simply can't happen. I mean, you got two players who are out of the play because they're looking at the sideline while the other nine players are in action on the most crucial drive of the ballgame. Why does that happen? It's just not something you see every day, even with horrible football teams. That's just self-inflicted moments that hurt this football team. And right now the Irish offense is tied for 99th in the country in scoring average at 23.7 points per game. A moment like that doesn't necessarily create that number, but it goes into it to say the least. All right, we appreciate you voting on all these. Very, very interesting to say the least. Here is today's question that's up right now at 960 Sportsbeat. Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman on Monday talked about having to build his own program foundation and that he couldn't build on what Brian Kelly has done. So what do you believe that means for the immediate future of Notre Dame being a playoff team? Three choices can happen next year, two to three years away, or is this something that's more long-term? Vote right now at 960 Sportsbeat. A couple of minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Center update coming up in a couple of moments on WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel won by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chase by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. Five-five rocket touchdown. 
here's your host, Darren Pritchett. 11 minutes after 6 o'clock at Sports Radio 960. WSBT streaming live at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT radio app. Notre Dame players and the two coordinators meeting the media tonight. Looks like the player session is underway. Pete Sampson from The Athletic just posted on Twitter. Uh, Tobias Merriweather, the freshman, allowed to speak to the media today, which is really cool. Not all programs allow freshmen to speak, so very cool of Marcus Freeman to make him available after that touchdown catch against Stanford. And Pete wrote on Twitter, Tobias Merriweather on learning all the small things that allow him to play and getting the playbook down. Quote, no one can be perfect every day unless you're Michael Mayer. End quote. I like some context because you can take that answer to two totally different ways. But good to hear from Tobias Merriweather. Had a chance to shine against Stanford and was out there for 10 snaps. And at least two of those routes were outstanding and should have had two touchdown catches. Instead, he'll settle for one and maybe more opportunities this week against UNLV. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Today, the five things that you need to know about Saturday's opponent, the UNLV Running Rebels. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Well, UNLV is four and three on the season, but they have lost their last two games by a total score of 82 to 14. Two weeks ago, they lost to San Jose State 40 to 7. In that game, their starting quarterback, Doug Brumfield, went down with a concussion. He missed last Saturday's home game against Air Force, and the Falcons beat the running Rebels 42 to 7. Four. Another thing to know about UNLV: the Irish and the running Rebels have one common opponent. The California Golden Bears out of the Pac-12. Both of these matchups occurred in September. Let's take a look at some of the numbers and compare and contrast. The final score of the two games, UNLV lost to California 20-14. The Irish had to outscore Cal 10-0 in the fourth to beat the Bears 24-17. The running games... Similar yards per carry. The Irish ran for more yards because they ran it more. UNLV against Cal, 31 carries for 103, 3.3 yards per carry. Notre Dame, 41 carries for 147, 3.6 yards per carry. When UNLV threw the football against California, 18 of 33 for 206, a touchdown and a pick. Notre Dame, 17 of 23 for 150, Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Defensively against Cal, the UNLV run defense against the Bears, they shut down that Cal running game, 32 carries, 92 yards, 2.9 yards per carry. Cal ran the ball better against the Fighting Irish. 31 carries for 112, and the Irish gave up 3.6 yards per carry. And finally, California... Against UNLV, UNLV's pass defense, 
28 of 39 allowed for 278 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. California against the Irish pass defense, not nearly as good. 16 of 37 for 184 and a touchdown. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. Next up, who are some famous alumni from UNLV? Probably the most famous guy on the Food Network went to UNLV. Chef and Food Network star Guy Fieri. Former ESPN personality Kenny Main. Late night talk show host Jimmy Kimmel went to UNLV. Former U.S. Senator John Ensign, a running rebel. Now we get to the athletes. All these are very recognizable. Basketball players, we could spend all day probably talking about UNLV stars from the past. But those that stand out, Larry Johnson, Stacy Augman, Greg Anthony, all a part of those early 90 running Rebel teams, Armand Gilliam, and Reggie Theus. And Reggie Theus, his son is Brennan Davis, the Chicago Cubs prospect who won a championship here in South Bend in 2019. A couple of golfers who went to UNLV, Chad Campbell, and Masters champion, Adam Scott. A couple of baseball players of note who went to UNLV, former Giants and Diamondbacks third baseman, Matt Williams, and the big slugger from the Detroit Tigers from a few years ago, Cecil Fielder. And from the football ranks, a couple of players stand out. The Icky Shuffle, former Bengals running back, Icky Woods, and former Philadelphia Eagle and Minnesota Viking quarterback, Randall Cunningham. Number two. Things to know about Saturday's opponent, UNLV. How about this? This is an odd one. I have never seen this before. But as I mentioned, UNLV had a home game against Air Force last week. With 1.44 to go in the third quarter, referee Steve Barron was caught on camera going into the stands during a timeout and talking to the marching band that was there for UNLV. Barron was in the stands to tell the band to stop playing while Air Force had the football. The Mountain West Conference has specific rules regarding when bands can play during the game. It reads, bands are prohibited from playing during game action or any time that is disruptive to the competitors. Pre-game, post-game, timeouts, halftime between quarters or other breaks in the action are permissible times for band activities. In the sport of football, bands must discontinue playing when the team with the ball breaks the huddle until the completion of the play. If a team plays a no-huddle offense, the band shall not play at any time during the offensive possession, end quote. So the band got scolded, and I've never seen this before. A referee went into the stands to take the situation into his own hands and tell them, knock it off. So if UNLV's band is here on Saturday, those of you around that band, keep them in order, would you? Number one. And another thing to know about UNLV, now their quarterback could be a game-time decision. We may or may not see him, but he's worth talking about. 6'6", sophomore quarterback, Doug Brumfield. He is day-to-day due to a concussion. 
that he suffered in the second quarter against San Jose State two weeks ago. He did not play against Air Force last week, and the offense has done absolutely nothing in his absence. Brumfield is completing 68.4% of his passes for 1,231 yards. He has eight touchdown passes with two interceptions. He is also a factor running the football, 48 rushes for 137 yards, and he has five rushing touchdowns on the season. If Brumfield plays, they feel like they have a fighter's chance. Without Brumfield, pretty much no shot. That offense has done nothing without him. Those are five things to know about Saturday's opponent, the running Rebels of UNLV having one of their best seasons in a few years. We'll talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer coming up next on WSBT. It's time for our weekly conversation on Notre Dame football recruiting with the expert at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Mike Singer. I'm Darren Pritchett. We're on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on 960 AM WSBT and also our video feed of this conversation available on the YouTube channel for Blue and Gold. Mike, good to see you. How are you today? I'm doing great, Darren. Glad to be on the show. I enjoyed your conversation with Mike Goolsby the other night. For our radio listeners that don't know, Mike Goolsby, the former Irish linebacker. You and Mike get into some spirited conversations following Notre Dame football games, and I guess you had plenty to talk about after the Stanford game. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, so every Sunday night, typically 7 p.m. Eastern time, Goolsby and I will be live on our YouTube channel. And... I mean, we get so much good positive feedback from folks. I mean, it's, it's called the Mike Goolsby Show, so uh, when you know people tend to agree with Goolsby on things more than me. Um, but hey, I, I take it to Goolsby sometimes. I don't you know for just some journalists, I don't uh, get too afraid of uh, differing on him. But uh, it, it's it's a really good discussion. Um, you know, think talk show plus you know, analysis plus just good fun banter. Um, great stuff. I give you a lot of credit dealing with two Illinois guys every week on these YouTube videos. You probably deserve a bonus for that. Tell you, one? we're hard to handle. <laughs> Let's talk recruiting because you know what, Mike, with a three and three Irish football team, there's no conference title to look forward to. We're just kind of looking ahead maybe to a bowl game. People want to know about the future of this Notre Dame football team, and there are holes to fill on this current roster. So there's really nothing better to do right now than talk to Irish fans about some guys that are going to be possibly wearing that Notre Dame helmet in the future and hopefully a part of the turnaround again of this Notre Dame football team. I want to start with wide receiver recruiting. There's always a debate about the current wide receivers on the roster. And, hey, Tobias Merriweather, Couple of routes looked pretty doggone good, didn't he? Including that touchdown catch, should have had two. Yeah, he was really good. Um, I was kind of in the camp of uh, trust the coaches on why they haven't played him yet. I'm not in that camp anymore. <laughs> you watched the replays oh, really on NBC and the breaking down of the plays. He was highly efficient and textbook running those routes, which makes you stop and think, man, oh man, what is going on in practice where? 
they aren't seeing that or something. But it was good to see Tobias make an impact in that game. But 24, wide receiver recruiting. On three have their rankings, of course. And Cam Williams made a big jump in the rankings. Why don't you give us some insight on Cam Williams and talk about the jump he made in the rankings? Yeah, so in rankings, Darren, here's the thing. There were always, there's always going to be bumps for your commits, and there's going to be drops. And then anything in between is typically a small slide. Because if you're not actively moving up in these rankings, you're, you're, you're just naturally moving down because of the people who are moving up, if that makes sense. Yes. So C.J. Cardinal Rams quarterback commit um, took a bit of a tumble. Um, but let's focus on the positives because I know folks just focus on the negatives. So we're just going to, in this discussion about 2024 receiver recruiting, we're going to focus on, uh, you know, Cam Williams' bump here. He went from outside the top 100 nationally to the number 21 overall player per on three's own rankings and the number five receiver. So I want to clarify, and articles of Blue and Gold and our YouTube um, videos we do, we, use the, we talk about the on three consensus, which equally weighs all four media outlets, rivals, on three, ESPN, and 24-7. Um, so on three's rankings only are a quarter of that consensus in terms of um, how much it's weighed. But on three did update its ranking, so that's what we're talking about in this video. So, again, number 21 overall player, number five wide receiver, and I'm told this bump was due to not only its big-time junior production um, at Glenbard South in Glen Ellen, Illinois, it's um, his testing numbers over the summer um, in terms of his length, his speed, his, and then you see those two things combined with his physicality on Friday nights and production. Cam Williams has, has just been fantastic. Um, and look, he, he's a near five-star prospect at this point. On three, only has three five-star players in the 2024 class. Um, and as time goes on, more players will be added. Um, Cam Williams is one of those early on. And Darren, I'm just going to run through three more 2024 wide receiver targets, just kind of give the latest on the, those recruitments. It was really a St. Louis invasion hmm. at Notre Dame over the weekend. You had... Uh, the running back, Jeremiah Love, who I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on the show, the 2023 back who did commit to Notre Dame on Saturday. Um, he was on campus. His teammate, Jeremiah McClellan, um, is a four-star wide receiver in the 24 class who I am a extremely high on. Uh, I, I think that um, you know he's a, a cross between like a Lorenzo Styles and Avery Davis in, in terms of his gameplay, but I think he has a higher ceiling. Than, than those guys. Uh, I, I think McClellan is just, you know, um, you know, the sky's really the limit for him. So he was on campus. I talked to him. You can find that article at bloomgold.com probably later this week. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he's a guy to keep an eye on. He had a great time at Notre Dame. Love committing has an impact on him. He's close friends with Ryan Wingo, um, St. Louis University High 2024 receiver, number – 14 overall player, number five receiver per the on three consensus in the 2024 class. So McClellan told me that look, love's a big deal to him committing, get Ryan Wingo, him and McClellan are tight. So this is a, it's a big deal. Like Notre Dame and the St. Louis pipeline is looking really good. So Wingo, this was his third time on campus since June. Um, so I like Notre Dame to land Wingo and I've had a prediction in um, since the summer for him to land with the Irish and, um, somewhat confident in that prediction. You know, not, it, it's no guarantee, but do believe that Notre Dame's the leader. 
And lastly, I was in the state of Florida this past Friday and got to uh, got to take a look at Tampa Carrollwood Day wide receiver Bredell Richardson. Um, had three passes around 40 yards or so, a couple of short um, short receptions, then a, a little post down the field where he caught a touchdown. His team really blew out the opposition. So you did get to see a ton of Richardson, but talked to him after the game and asked him about recruiting and obviously and the main schools involved, and he mentioned Notre Dame. You know, first that's the first school that came out of his mouth. That's typically a good sign. So he's a top hundred player, uh, number ninety nine overall prospect and number eighteen receiver. So Notre Dame has a, to tie this all together. There, Notre Dame has a really good recruiting class in twenty twenty three at wide receiver. Jane Greathouse, Rico Flores, um, uh, Jane Greathouse, Rico Flores, Braylon James, and then maybe they get Tayshawn Lyons from California. They can follow that up with a darn good receiver class in 24. You got Cam Williams um, already committed, and then can they lock up a couple of those guys we just talked about, Darren? But um, overall, it's looking good early on. 636 Sportsbeat continues here on 960 AM WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Mike, a couple of moments ago, you referenced four-star running back Jeremiah Love, verbally committing to the Fighting Irish while here in South Bend visiting for the Stanford game. You've talked about him a lot. You've spoken very highly of him, and I guess it's not a major surprise he's found a brand new home here in South Bend. Um, it depends. Okay. See, that's an interesting. Well, that's an interesting question. Like, if you're going to tell me, Mike, were you surprised he committed Saturday? No, no, I wasn't because I knew he was committing on Saturday. This is just how these things go. Um, and I, I've liked Notre Dame to land him since August. But when you take a step back and you look at, he had offers from Alabama and Georgia and Texas A&M. Yes, Texas A&M, the school that seems to be getting <laughs> just about anyone they want these days because the, the, the whole NIL factor with the Aggies. But for Notre Dame to beat A&M head-to-head in this one, and that, that was really his final two, Notre Dame and A&M, that's an impressive recruiting win. Um, so I think in that sense it was a little surprising. Um, but, look, love when I'd asked him about why he committed to Notre Dame, and he tells me, look, I love both schools, my family love both schools, but I just think at the end of the day Notre Dame's academics is going to help me more in the long run. Um, so even if – I'm speculating here, even if A&M had a nice little NIL thing, which they're not supposed to, but, you know, just semantics aside there, um, even if it was maybe more up front, you know, he kind of saw the long picture with Notre Dame, the four for 40. So, again, a very impressive recruiting one for the Irish. Let's move along to Ohio State offering one of the top Notre Dame defensive recruits. So give us some insight on who the player was and how serious of a move are the Buckeyes making on this Irish commitment? Yeah, so the Buckeyes offered, I want to say it was Sunday, a Don Schuler, Irvington, New Jersey, uh, class of 2023 safety, a four-star prospect. Look, this isn't anything new. Um, it's in terms of other schools recruiting. I think he's picked up offers from Alabama, Georgia, a and mean, So many schools have offered a Don Schuler, but he hasn't really – seem to be very interested in any of those programs. I know over the, 
I said maybe it was over the summer or back in the spring actually he took some trips with his high school team like a little bus tour but otherwise he's been very solid with Notre Dame despite these um, offers from other schools again he committed to the Irish um, August of 2021 so he's been committed for over a year at this point and other schools have offered since that pledge but the Ohio State one does feel a little different like okay hmm. Ohio State is one that means a lot to him, but they're offering two months before National Signing Day. It, it to me, it feels like a little too little, too late. Maybe Schuler is very affected by Notre Dame starting the season three and three, and maybe that's gonna deter him from wanting to stick with the Irish. I don't know, but I I like Notre Dame for sure. Maybe not for sure because um, it's recruiting. You never know, but from what I'm told, Notre Dame. Uh, sources still feel confident that'll stick with the Irish. Um, but again, we'll, we'll have to see there. Just a moment ago, we talked about love committing during the Stanford weekend, uh, putting aside love's commitment. Was there many other big storylines to come out of the recruiting weekend during the Notre Dame Stanford game? Yeah, Darren, it, recruiting's really been heating up. And I, I have said this before on your show. I just, I feel like there was a period there in August, uh, you know, after the July commitments, like kind of slow. We're doing these shows on Tuesdays. We're like, man, what are we going to talk about? It's heating up now. So a couple more items to talk about. We, are, we discussed some of the 2024 receivers who were on campus. Two more very notable players who I wanted to talk about. Um, Chris Tarek from uh, Glen Ellen, Illinois, Glen Bart West. Tarek actually told me he's, he's close friends with Kane Williams, Notre Dame commit in 2024 because they're from the same area and, Grew up playing, you know, peewee ball together. But um, Tarek is a class of 2023 Wisconsin commit, uh, pledged to the Badgers at the end of June. Well, Notre Dame lost a commitment from Elijah Page on the offensive line. They want to take a player to replace him, who would be a fifth offensive lineman. And this one just makes sense. He's a Chicagoland kid, and Wisconsin doesn't have a head coach. You would think there's a pretty decent chance that they could get him um, and, and they had him on campus over the weekend for an unofficial. Um, he got in actually a little bit late. Um, he had a game on Saturday afternoon. After that finished, you know, got over to, to South Bend. So I think he missed the first quarter, but then he got to spend, um, you know, all day Sunday at Notre Dame and, and by all accounts had a really good time and clicked with Harry Keystein, Irish offensive line coach. But even all these things said, the, the young man loves Wisconsin. And, and, and kudos to him for, for committing to a school and, you know, being like, man, even though Notre Dame's coming in here and, and Wisconsin does I have a, have a head coach, I, you know, I'm still sticking with the Badgers. But that's for now. I don't know if, you know, come National Signing Day, if that'll still be the case. Personally, my gut feeling says that Notre Dame's got a really good shot to pull off this flip, um, but still a lot more work to do. And then Notre Dame had three official visitors on campus over the weekend, a couple of commits, safety Ben Minnick, from Ohio, and then the speedster um, running back slash offensive athlete Dylan Edwards from Derby, Kansas. Those two guys committed to Notre Dame on campus, and then you had Brandon Hillman from Portsmouth, Virginia, Churchland High School, 6'1", 190-pound athlete, three-star prospect. Uh, Irish are recruiting him as just an athlete who can play many different positions. He was on campus with his mom and high school head coach. Article has already been posted with Hillman's thoughts on it at blueandgold.com. I like the Irish to win the recruitment, Darren, but still more work to be done. Oklahoma offered on Monday. I'm hearing 
maybe he gets to Kentucky for an official sometime this fall. Um, so some things to keep an eye on. But, uh, you know, even though Notre Dame is 3-3, three and three, and it just seems like every week I'm writing about some Notre Dame commit who's being pursued by other schools, I think the Irish are going to finish this recruiting class pretty strong. This is probably the moment where we remind fans it's not always about the record when it comes to these kids. It is building relationships with the coaching staff. And even though the record isn't where anybody wants it to be right now, I think a lot of these kids believe in their talents and they believe they can be a part of the change of the football team to get them back on track. So I don't think anybody should panic at this point because I see online, oh, my gosh, the Irish are going to lose 10 commitments, 12 commitments. I think we probably should pump the brakes on that right now. Darren, you know the phrase, you know, someone's such a good salesman, they could sell ice to an Eskimo. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what you need to be as a recruiter. It, let's say Notre Dame's 5-1, and 6-0 at this point. It's, hey, come be a part of this great football program. Right, you know, like, hey, look what we're doing on the field. We're so great. Look at you know, uh, the, this running back or this receiver, whatever the position they're recruiting at. Like, look at these guys. This is what you're going to do, right? Or Notre Dame's three and three, and it's, man, we lost against Stanford. This sucks. But uh, do you see our receivers? Or do you know? Do you see our quarterbacks? Or, or do you see our linebackers? Like, we need you, and you can come play right away for this. Of this historic Brandon University, and so you've just got to be able to sell it. Um, that's not to say you'd rather be losing. No. Obviously, the momentum of winning is going to help you more on the recruiting trail, um, and you can't go be one and five, or you know, obviously. But three and three, it, you know, it's not having a major impact on recruiting. You know, when you when you talk to these kids, the result of the games of a part of a season they're not even on the team for, it, it, it doesn't make a big impact. 2023 wide receiver Khalil Barnes picked up an offer from the Fighting Irish? Intrigued, and I'm intrigued. This is an interesting one. Didn't see it coming. He's listed as a corner who's committed to Wake Forest. He can play corner or receiver at the next level. The Irish offered him last Thursday. Darren, this is Notre Dame's offered players recently where it's like, hmm, you know, the, you, you don't see it coming because you feel like Notre Dame's in a good position with some of these positions they're at, um, they're, you know, they're recruiting at, but still offer. You know, and, and I really think it's a matter of avoiding situations like last year with Amarion Walker and C.J. Williams. It's, you know, you had three receiver commits, and then you're down to one at the blink of an eye before National Signing Day, and you have no one to recruit. You know, so I, I think it's kind of a factor of that. Um, so, like I mentioned earlier in our show, Notre Dame is, um, I, I believe, in the the pole position for Tayshawn Lyons from Northern California. If they land him, that would probably be, be the last receiver that they take in this cycle. Um, but if not, you have, you're already recruiting a really good player in Khalil Barnes from the, uh, I believe that's Athens, Georgia area, Bogart, Georgia. Um, so, yeah, don't know a whole lot about him as a player, but in terms of his recruitment, again, Wake Forest decommits, um, and Clemson's recruit him and, and seems to be the leader for him right now. All right, so as you can see, recruiting is firing back up a little bit because we did have no issues coming up with topics this week. For a couple of weeks, it was scraping the bottom of the barrel, but I think we probably could have had three or four 
more questions at least to ask this week because if you go to blueandgold.com and check out all of Mike's writings, you can see that there is plenty to talk about right now. And for those people that are watching this but are not, are not subscribing to Blue and Gold Illustrated, maybe give them an idea what they're missing right now. I mean, it's, if you like these videos and, and, and my show on, uh, you know, with, with Sportsbeat, it's, that's just once a week. Right. I mean, we, we just get to do this on Tuesdays, but otherwise the written content is seven days a week. Um, so, you know, whether it's the, the premium articles, keeping up you up to date with all of the news, as well as communicating with me on our loose emoji message board at blueandgold.com. Hey, Mike, question about this young man. Where do you think Stan? What's the latest? I'm, I'm on this board all damn long, all day damn long. However you say that phrase. So, yeah, just just chop it up with me and, and talk with me. Maybe I can uh, speak coherently or type coherently I should say because I clearly can't on uh, Darren's radio show but uh we'd love to have you guys it's it's ten dollars and that gets you access through August 31st so ten bucks through the start of next football season fantastic deal head over to blueandgold.com and check it out very good Mike always a pleasure to speak with you about Notre Dame football recruiting have a great week and we will talk to you next Tuesday Sounds fantastic, Darren. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. More Sports Beat coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Money, money, money. Show me the money. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. All right, before we get to our segment, sports be brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Pet Refuge urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance, for surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget, call Tim at 574-232-9981. Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Four Winds Casinos, your entertainment escape must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience, and the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Great night last night with our suggestions for Monday Night Football. And a quick recap, we went Broncos under 20.5 team points. That was a winner. They had 16. Went under 42 total points in the game. That was a winner. The total was 35, 19-16 Chargers. Chargers receiver Mike Williams, I went under 68 and a half receiving yards, an easy win. He had 17. And I took Russell Wilson, the Bronco quarterback, over 13 and a half rushing yards. He had 23. So a 4 0 night last night. And at one point, we were 7 and 20 in October. Now 23 and 26. We are surging. Four picks for tonight. Phillies starting pitcher Zach Wheeler over four and a half strikeouts. Phillies, Padres, under six and a half runs. Warriors, minus seven against the Lakers. And the 76ers, plus three at the Celtics. My underdog pick for tonight, the Phillies on the money line at plus 100. 
That'll do it for Sports Beat for tonight. Hope you'll join me tomorrow, two more hours, starting at 5 o'clock on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 